1060 KDUS Tempe Phoenix and KSLX HD2 Scottsdale Phoenix. It's now time to enter the sports zone with your host, Bob Kemp. Drive began back at the 20. Harris plowing, digging, gouging. I don't think Short. you got it. <laughs> the defense what a holds. Job by the what line. a goal line stand by the Cardinals. Kevin Strong plugged it. After the goal line stand, Murray, end zone. That is caught, and that is a touchdown. McBride gets it with Fitzpatrick and KZ on him. Blowing his whistle, signaling incomplete right in front of all the players. So first down and goal at the six-yard line. Blake Carr up. Touchdown, Hoover Under a minute. Milrow scans the field to the end zone. And it's caught. Jermaine Burton. Touchdown, Alabama. Penix lobs it into the end zone. Touchdown, Quentin Moore. With the play of his life. You never would expect him to be the guy to make the play that could put them in the college football playoff. Wow. So next week will be monstrous as Debo Samuel. Oh, Debo Samuel, one man to beat. He's going to beat him. Touchdown 49ers. I'm not sure what the answer is. It's just a little tunnel screen. The entire offensive line acting as an escort. He's untouched. Running back against the linebacker. A-chan against Davis, top of the formation. Tua. Lofts it. Tyreek Hill on kill. You're not going to catch him, are you? No. Touchdown. Explosive Miami play for 78 and a score. Dial 602-260-1060. That's 602-260-1060. Or tweet the show at KDUSAM1060. And now, here's your sports zone guide, Bob Kemp, on KDUSAM1060. Welcome to the Monday, December 4th edition of the Sports Zone. Not just the news and scores, the news and scores with analysis. In today's Sports Zone, right here on KDUS AM 1060 and KISS Lux HD 2 100.7, the Cardinals or the Steelers overlooking them. The CFP committee, did they get it right? And also what stood out during the championship weekend of college football? The 49ers who was most impressive during their dominating win at Philadelphia. The rest of the NFL, what caught your eye on Sunday and Wells caught your eye since our last show. Here's today's schedule lineup on the show, which is the most informative sports talk Monday through Friday in moments of the introduction of today's pipeline. 10-15 around college football, including CFP selection analysis and more with David Kenyon from Bleacher Report. 10-30, the uh, interactive action portion of the hour, 602-260-1060 if you want to jump aboard. And also the local roundup, that'll include some Cardinals and Steelers analysis. And in the final segment of the sports zone will be the national roundup, topped by the latest line for tonight's Bengals and Jags game. And that'll include some injury updates from the injury report, or reports, plural. Then after the sports zone, uh, from 11 to 1 o'clock, it's the Extra Point hosted by Kayla. That'll include analysis of the NFL and college football weekend. All right, on to the pipeline we go.
time for today's pipeline where the host reveals the hot topics for discussion. And we start with the KDUS poll question at KDUS1060.com. Today's question is, did the Cardinals win on Sunday because the Steelers overlooked the Cardinals, as claimed by some Steeler players after that game yesterday? Kayla's here and has the early returns. Yes, leading the way. 71% of the vote, no trailing at 29%. The truth is, the Cardinals dominated the line of scrimmage, and they were the better coach team in the 24-10 win that ended a nine-game road losing streak. Today's Twitter poll question, did the college football playoff committee get the top four right? And Kayla once again has the early returns. That I do over on Twitter at KDOS AM 1060. No leading the way at 75% of the vote. Yes, trailing at 25%. And I'll challenge you to leave a comment. What four should be in then if you're on the no side? Okay, comment away. Uh, Michigan, Washington, Texas, and Alabama. That's the final four of the final uh, you know, season of the current four-team playoff. Uh, it included the first undefeated Power 5 conference champion ever to be left out, Florida State. And this is also the first time that the overall number one seed in the next to last parent ranking, rankings, which were you know, last Tuesday, that uh, that team was not included in the final four. That would be Georgia. Three-time, you know, they're not going to win three times in a row. So much for the three-peat for Georgia. Meanwhile, the final rankings, uh, you know, basically confirmed one thing. The November CFP rankings, which I've been saying for about 10 years now, maybe I didn't say it like first or second year, but since then, it is a complete waste of time and just an ESPN programming scam. In addition to that, now obvious, if it wasn't obvious before, Accurate comment, what stood out during the college football championship weekend, either on the field or off the field. Meanwhile, spanning the globe, the Jags are the, excuse me, the Jags. The 49ers, I'll get to the Jags momentarily here. At least later in the hour, I'll get to the Jags. The 49ers are the NFL's best team. That's something I've been saying since last summer. And uh, now they have routed the Cowboys and Eagles during this regular season. What was most impressive during Sunday's 42-19 just domination at Philadelphia by the 49ers? Meanwhile, uh, in a season of many injuries, Sunday, I think, was the worst injury day of the season in the NFL, including two more quarterbacks, Derek Carr and Kenny Pickett, amongst those uh, leaving because of injuries. And, uh, you know, I I try to keep a list of, you know, injuries just watching games or whatever or, you know, text text alerts, etc. This is the longest list I've had by far this season from the games yesterday. Many, many players, some of them very key players, went down yesterday because of injury. In addition to that, what caught your eye during the NFL Sunday action or lack thereof? Certainly, if it was the early games, there wasn't much action. Meanwhile, tonight appears to be a mismatch uh, with the surging Jags hosting their first Monday night game in 12 seasons against the injury-depleted Bengals. So, we got tonight against uh, in Jacksonville, ATS, the Bengals plus 10 or the Jags minus 10. That's the pipeline for today. We get to all these tremendous topics and much more during today's sensational radio program. Anything else on your mind falls into the general discussion category. So whether it is from the pipeline or a sports topic on your mind, 602-260-1060, or you can tweet the show at KDUSAM1060 or twitter.com slash KDUSAM1060. 
Basically, the only rules are accuracy and objectivity. If you violate those rules or if you're just simply bad, you will be the target of this. Coming up next, Corey will have a news update. That'll be followed by Around College Football. We'll have some CFP final analysis and also more. Uh, we'll get into you know the semifinal games a little bit, get some early thoughts. And uh, the coaching landscape around college football, the transfer portal, two more quarterbacks from prominent schools entered the portal over the la- last few hours here. Uh, so we'll get to as much of that as humanly possible, if not all of it, with David Kenyon of Bleacher Report. Once again, at the bottom of the hour, to be phone call time. General discussion at 602-260-1060, plus the local roundup. Once again, we'll have some analysis of the Cardinals' victory at Pittsburgh at the bottom of the hour. You're listening to Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and Cast Lux HD 2 100.7. Catch the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays from 1 to 3 p.m. right here on KDUS AM 1060 and online at KDUS1060.com. Welcome back to the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and Kiss Lux HD 2, 100.7. You're home to the Dan Patrick Show live Monday through Friday from 7 to 10 a.m. The college football playoff committee, the final four, uh, the college, I guess, you know, more apt, more accurate, the CFP final four uh, was announced on Sunday by the committee. And there is controversy. Out to the KDUS online we go. We're now joined the sports on by David Kenyon of Bleacher Report. And David, always good to have you on the show. Uh, let's start with the final four here. Michigan, Washington, Texas, Alabama. Are they the four best teams? Bob, good to be here. As always, thanks for having me on. I uh, I do not agree with the the process that led to this result. Although we will certainly get to the conversation of, yeah, Alabama's a deserving championship caliber team. It's just that I don't understand how you leave out Florida State as an unbeaten champion. Okay, so if you were the person establishing the criteria. What would be the criteria in David Kenyon's world? So I I certainly am looking at the record um, with the strength of schedule being there. Um, You look at the comparable team that Florida State played. So between strength of schedule, overall record, and comparable opponents, I'm looking at those. I'm starting with that. And quite frankly, I I am avoiding what uh, the committee did yesterday, which, which seems to be we're, we're considering vibes here, too. What do I feel like, uh, which is annoying because that's certainly not part of the criteria. It's just, well, we felt Alabama would be more competitive, but that's, that's totally discounting everything that Florida State had done, especially with the defense had, had been so dominant in these last two weeks without, um, without its quarterback, Jordan Travis. So I, I'm just annoyed um, from that perspective, but that would be the process I would use. Um, the, the objective things, uh, certainly strength of schedule has some sort of subjectivity built into it. But those, those are the things that I would focus on and I would land with Florida State 
ahead of um, Texas and Alabama, and Texas getting in with the head-to-head being a factor used there. Okay. All that being said, does at least part of you, you know, think that, well, Florida State without Jordan Travis wouldn't be able to compete against these other three teams? And there, there's certainly a, a piece of me that thinks Alabama is more likely to compete more, but if we're talking about who's more likely to compete, well, where's Georgia? Uh, Georgia's absolutely a top four team in the country if we're just going on that perspective. And and if we are doing it that way, that, that's fine. But let's make it what it is in that case and rank nobody ever and just decide who we think the, the teams are at the end of the season. But, of course, you know, I know that that's not going to happen. Uh, but that's, that's the annoying part of this. If we're just doing this as a subjective exercise at the end of the season of who the four teams are, um, it's just frustrating in that way. But to your point, yeah, I, I absolutely believe Alabama will give Michigan a, a great game. I think they probably are more likely to do uh, to do that than FSU has currently constructed. But, it, you know, it's just it's the circular conversation. If we're talking about likelihoods, we're not really doing objective rankings. We're just subjective. So let, let's go in that direction if that's what we're doing. You mentioned Michigan, the overall, uh, overall number one seed, and didn't even play a Power 5 conference team in non-conference play. You know, should that have factored into Michigan be number one? And then if if that should have factored in, should Washington, because of the strength of schedule, been the number one seed? It's it's all a challenge because you can make so many arguments and in many different directions about it because you are absolutely correct. Um, I think the one thing that at least is worth mentioning um, is Michigan did have UCLA scheduled for this year and UCLA backed out late. So that's that's kind of a, a function of, of that. So mm-hmm. there, there's something to be said in Michigan's defense in, the, in that stage. They didn't you know, actively schedule East Carolina, UNLV, and Bowling Green. Uh, it, it was a, a matter of a late decision from UCLA. Nonetheless, it is what Michigan faced, and it's a fair thing to point out. What I will say is when you look at what Michigan did early in the season, uh, whether that's non-conference or the beginning of Big Ten, unlike the other teams, is Michigan controlled those games to a level that nobody else had done. They won every game by 20-some points. Into October, it was getting to 40-some points. No team scored more than 10 points on, um, on Michigan until November. So the way Michigan had just flat-out dominated the entire season, I think, has to go into account as well. Back to Washington for a minute. What was most impressive about Washington's second win this season over Oregon on Friday night in Las Vegas? And how's Washington won all these close games down the stretch? Yeah, part two of that is is what's most impressive for me is they continued to win those close games. And you know, you look at you look at the teams that do it, it's just a credit to coaching, late game execution, the players' mentality. That's what the most impressive thing is for me because Washington found ways to win and they did it in different ways. You had, you know, the ugly, ugly, ugly game against Arizona State where pick six really saves Washington. You had the week before when they beat Oregon the first time. The offense came up clutch with a late touchdown. The defense responds in that way. You had the higher scoring games. Uh, you know, whether it was Stanford or USC, where Washington's offense really picked up a pretty bad defensive performance. 
You had going to Oregon State where the defense picked up an offense that didn't score in the second half of the game. You know, it, it's just they found every way to win and did it in just about every way imaginable. And then I, I think even you, you throw in Washington State with a, a kick at the end. You've got offense, defense, and special teams just finding ways when it matters most. And then, and then to your point of the second Oregon game, it's that resilience again where they fly out to that 20-3 to lead. And Oregon comes back and takes the lead. And you're thinking, all right, here you go again, Washington fading a little bit in the second half, another close game, and Oregon's been so hot. Oregon's going to be the one to take this, and Washington just, again, finds a way. And that's so impressive that they've been able to do that all season. David Kenyon, Bleacher Report, curling in the sports zone. Georgia uh, became the first team that was number one in the next-to-last poll and not make the uh, Final Four. What surprised you the most about Georgia's performance or maybe lack thereof on Saturday against Alabama? It's a great question. I think the way that Georgia came out, the first drive looked clinical, and it was just no – there was nothing Alabama could do on that possession. Like, Georgia was in control the entire time, and it was just like, oh, okay, yeah, Georgia came to play. And then what surprised me was that it just kind of ended from there, you know, for the next, I'd say, 25, 30 minutes, where Georgia just struggled to move the ball again. Um, and we have not seen that all season. Um, you know, they, they started slow early in, in the games, early in the season, uh, in September in particular, they had a lot of first quarters that were pretty lackluster, but once they started going, Georgia was just incredibly difficult to stop. Um, and so starting, starting as hot as they did, I figured Georgia was just going to be able to score probably 35 points or so, and Alabama did such a good job, as they've done so many times with Nick Saban, to uh, adapt, respond, make the adjustments, um, and, and really just control the game from there. Obviously, the, the big takeaway uh, in the third quarter there, the mishandled exchange on Georgia's reverse that was really well blocked, too, that if, if that exchange happens, Georgia might actually get like a 40-yard run or something like that. Instead, it's a fumble inside the red zone. Alabama kicks a field goal, and go figure, Alabama wins by field goal late. You know, speaking of Alabama adjusting and saving, et cetera, yeah, it's amazing what they were, say, week three against you know South Florida after Milrow was benched and following the Texas game. I don't remember. Uh, you know, I've been thinking about this. I've had two days to think about this. I haven't come up with an answer yet. I don't remember a quarterback that is you know gone from what he was early in the season to now than Milrow. Can you think of somebody that falls into that category? No, as far as a one-season progression, he is, he's absolutely up there. I mean, we're, we're talking about a guy who, like you said, with South Florida, they benched him. I, Saban kind of explained it away as, oh, we wanted to get all three guys reps. Well, no, I, I'm sure that's not entirely the case. I, I think he's covering a little bit in, in that moment of trying to protect his quarterback. But you don't bench a quarterback that you expect to be your starter and lead you to the college football playoff just because, well, we wanted to get some other guys some reps. No, you do that in blowouts, not, not starts. So to go from benched to, I mean, Heisman Trophy finalists come out tonight. He certainly won't win, but they're guaranteed to have four. That's the way that the system works right now. There's a real chance that Milrow is the fourth person 
in that finalist group with Jaden Daniels, Bo Nix, and Michael Penix. Like, that's incredible what he's been able to do this year. I, I think from a year to year, you probably look at Joe Burrow's first year at LSU where he was, you know, fine, he was, he's okay, to absolutely destroying every record imaginable the next year. That's the only uh, – that's the most recent year-to-year yeah. comparison that's been so dramatic. But as far as a September to December, Milrow, I mean, th- this has been ridiculous in a pretty cool way. Okay, you mentioned the Heisman Trophy. Let, let's get on to that here. You know, Jaden Daniels, uh, did he win the Heisman Trophy uh, when uh, Oregon and uh, Bo Nix lost last Friday night? I do think that that is the case. I, I certainly would have gone with Nix um, leading into that game. I think Penix certainly helped himself to to the level of getting a little more respect. But I think he, I think Penix needed a massive game in the pick, in the Pac-12 championship to to really overtake both of them. What Jaden Daniels has done and the production he's put up is quite frankly unmatched as far as the rest of the the nation goes this season um and he he certainly padded his numbers a little bit with uh an eight touchdown day against georgia state late in the season but what he'd just been doing so consistently was was really really awesome to watch this season and the the big thing that kind of helps him too is it's not like he evaporated in those those tough games the three that they lost the defense gave up 45, 55, and 42. So uh, you can only <laughs> expect so much from your quarterback. So three lost, uh, three lost teams rarely have a Heisman winner, but Lamar Jackson, Robert Griffin, those are some of the guys who've recently did it, along with Tim Tebow. So there, there's precedent for it. It's tough to do, but you've got to be transcendent, and that's what Jane Daniels had done this year. Why or how has Daniels improved so much since leaving ASU and playing the last two years at LSU? A lot of answers that I think I cannot confidently say, you know, this is the exact thing, but you're going to have the natural development of a quarterback over time, ideally. doesn't always happen, but there's certainly something to be said for experience, and he got plenty of that at uh, Arizona State before going to LSU. You have uh, the, the system in place at LSU um, just got so much better when Brian Kelly um, came into town, brought his guys in. You have some really awesome talent. Uh, ASU certainly was not lacking it when Daniels was there, but, I mean, Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas this year with LSU have, have just been really, really good Um special players near the red zone too. Kyron Lacey, a transfer coming in um, from uh, Louisiana a couple of years ago has, has been a really nice red zone target too. So there's just a lot of weapons and a really functional system. Um, along with the, the natural development you hope happens, I think that's the, the long answer to a short question that it could be any one of those three primarily. Um, and, and as we know, looking back, ASU was, not exactly in the best hands uh, down down late in Daniel's tenure there. So I think the stability of LSU has certainly helped a lot in that regard as well. Okay, so let's flip back to the Final Four here. Michigan's a small favorite against Alabama. What are your initial thoughts in the in that game? If it's a lot of points, Alabama wins. If it's not a lot of points, Michigan wins. Um, Michigan's defense is if it's if it's not Iowa as the best defense in the country, Michigan is right there 
Um, you just have the advantage relative to that conversation of Michigan having a functional offense, but I digress. Um, Michigan is going to have to keep this game low scoring because if Milrose starting to run wild, I don't, I don't see Michigan being able to match what Alabama can do. I mean, you saw that last year with TCU where, hey, they scored 45 points, but TCU's defense, as good as it was, is not as good as even Alabama's this year, and this, this isn't even the best Alabama defense that we've seen. That it's, it's just going to be Michigan relying on its strength all season of incredible defense and a, a powerful running game. It's really going to hurt not to have Zach Zinter, who if you watch the Michigan-Ohio State uh, game, star right guard or star um, offensive guard who went out of that game um, and that it showed against Iowa for sure that that's a great defense there but Michigan struggled to run the ball they got a couple short touchdowns but they they were not really much of a factor on the ground and Alabama has two corners Terry and Arnold and Kool-Aid McKinstry who may both be all-American picks this year so it's going to be really tough to throw the ball too so Michigan has to control the clock, run the ball well, uh, lean on the defense to, to get this one. Uh, otherwise, Alabama certainly is, is a quality team, capable of winning the championship, and I definitely think you're going to see a close game. Texas is in the CFP for the first time, headed to New Orleans, a four-point favorite against Washington. What stands out in that matchup to you? I think the, the pseudo-home field is something that's really been sticking with me right now. I'm not surprised Michigan was able to get to Pasadena. Um, top team does not get a, an official pick, but their preference is taken into consideration. Um, I, was, I was hoping for Washington's sake that as the number two team, they would get the Rose Bowl. Um, shorter trip, easier for the fans and everything. So Texas instead is going to have um, a, a nice little trip to New Orleans. So Texas will be well, rep well represented there, and I think that is going to be a factor to some degree. But ultimately, what I think you're going to have to see is can Washington pass the ball as well as we think they can, but sometimes this season was not able to do because the Texas run defense is absolutely dominant. Uh, they, they did so well all season. I mean, Big 12 championship, Ollie Gordon, the second from Oklahoma State, he's He's probably a first-team All-American. He's, he's been really, really good since uh, shooting into the lineup in late September, and they held him to about 30 yards. So what Texas has been able to do, if Dylan Johnson is not able to run the ball well, Washington is, is happy to lean on Penix and, and a really good receiving core, but you, you definitely need to see Romo Dinze, Jalen Polk, and Jalen McMillan uh, play up to their ability and Washington to have the passing game we know they're capable of doing. Um, and have that travel because it's going to be tough, it's going to be loud, and Washington, that, that's what it comes down to for me because I think Texas is going to score on Washington's defense. I think that's been made pretty clear this year. The best games Washington is going to give up some points, but they're also capable of putting up a lot of them, so that's going to be the matchup for me is that Washington offense versus Texas secondary. Okay, David, last up, uh, the transfer portal is filled with quarterbacks, including Oklahoma's Dylan Gabriel and Ohio State's Cal McCord in the last couple of days. Which of the many quarterbacks out there in the portal uh, would you be targeting if you're a, a school looking for a quarterback? Yeah, what, what a start to this morning. I mean, I'm hopping on the computer and I'm seeing uh, that uh, the, the two you mentioned there with Dylan Gabriel – Cam Ward. I mean, my goodness, 
I, I think the the big one you're going to go after right away is Dylan Gabriel, just because he has so much experience, so much production. He he can run as well. He's your classic high-end college quarterback. I don't know about NFL, but that's not the conversation. We're just looking at college. Um, Dylan Gabriel definitely there. Dante Moore leaving UCLA. Uh, that is fascinating. Uh, I'll tell you what, though, Oregon State losing both guys, Uyang Galele and Aiden Chiles, um, or Hey, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, but both guys there um, leaving those. Those are huge losses for Oregon State into their new era. Um, huge, huge opportunity to get some really quality quarterbacks. There's certainly no shortage of them. I mean, that's, that's the start of where I go, but Riley Leonard's in there, Will Howard's in there, Tyler Van Dyke really – had a, had a tough year at Miami, but I'd still take a shot on him. Kyle McCord certainly is going to be a high-end guy. There is, there's just a ton of talent going into that portal today. David, great stuff as always. We appreciate it. Thanks much, and uh, we'll be talking soon, I'm sure. You got it, Bob. David Kenyon from Bleacher Report. We covered a bunch of stuff there, and uh, the transfer portal is crazy. Uh, we knew it was going to be crazy. I don't know if the powers to be knew it was going to be this crazy when they originally came up with uh, the thought process and all the the subsequent rules or non-rules for the portal and so forth. But we'll see what happens and where some of these guys land in the next, uh, I assume, few days here. Next segment, phone call time, 602-260-1060. And also today's local roundup, that will include... Cardinals and Steelers analysis from yesterday, and uh, who knows what else I'll have time to get in, depending on the uh, phone call volume. We'll uh, wrap up the hour, of course, with the National Roundup. We'll have a little on the Monday night football game tonight in Jacksonville. First Monday night football game in Jacksonville in 12 years. Uh, So we'll start with that. And then don't forget the extra point coming up, hosted by Kayla from 11 to 1 o'clock. And we'll go through the uh, football weekend. Uh, college, pro, local, national, etc. You're listening to Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and Castlex HD2 100.7. Every Monday night, check out Ray Adams as he hosts the Monday Night Golf and Lifestyle Show from 6 to 7 p.m. here on KDUS AM 1060. It's time for today's local roundup. Welcome back to the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and KSLUX HD2 100.7 edition of the local roundup. It is phone call time to the KDUS hotline at 602-260-1060. Get to your phone calls in just a couple of seconds. Once again, 602-260-1060. The Cardinals uh, did at least three things that I did not expect. Number one, they won a road game for the first time this season. Number two, Kyler Murray delivered a consistent performance. And number three, the Cardinals dominated the line of scrimmage on each side of the ball. The Cardinals 24-10 win at Pittsburgh. Really, uh, you know, I think the whole game obviously turned in the last four minutes and 51 seconds of the first half. Score tied at three. The Cardinals' defensive front stopped the Steelers on the fourth down from the one-yard line. That uh, what happened next was a 99-yard touchdown drive, which might be Murray's best drive as a Cardinal. 
Uh, obviously, it's the longest drive as a Cardinal, but it might be I think, his best drive with consistency, etc. That uh, ended in a touchdown, gave them a 10-3 lead, uh, heading into the first of two weather delays. Uh, the Cardinals on that 99-yard drive were 5 out of 5 on third down. The Cardinals for the game finished 10 of 17 on third down. That's the first time this season. They were over 5, uh, 50%, I should say, on third down. Uh, you know, Sticking with kind of the same theme here, they dominated the line of scrimmage, which to me was the biggest surprise of the game. They outrushed the Steelers 150 to 130. Uh, Jonathan Connor in his return, uh, you know, James Connor, excuse me, on his return to uh, Pittsburgh. I'm not sure who Jonathan is, but James Connor in his return to Pittsburgh rushed 25 times for 105 yards and two touchdowns. The Cardinals for the game, uh, you know, scored touchdowns in all three red zone possessions. That's not exactly been a consistent thing with Murray or without Murray so far this season. The bottom line was the Cardinals' first road win of the Monty Austin Ford and Jonathan Gannon era ending a nine-game losing streak dating back to last season on the road. Uh, you know, on the other side, the Steelers have some issues, but we'll uh, you know save this until a later date or maybe maybe in the uh, extra point today with Kayla hosting in the next couple of hours. Personnel news, the Cardinals did this without two of their top four wide receivers, Michael Wilson and Zach Paschal, also without two of their top four defensive backs, Starling Thomas and Antonio Hamilton, all four of those guys were inactive. Hollywood Brown, who missed practice time in each of the last two weeks with a heel injury, he left in the third quarter, and I don't think he returned. I'm not 100% sure on that, but I don't think he did. Also, waiver wire news. Not surprisingly, Zach Ertz was not claimed off waivers. Uh, I'm guessing in large part because of his $10-plus million salary for next season. And maybe in some part because he didn't quite look like the same or didn't look to me anything like the same player when he played earlier this year for the Cardinals than he did before the uh, last season ACL surgery that ended uh, the 2022 campaign. campaign. As we, uh, you know, many reported last week, the Chiefs, Bills, Ravens, Eagles are among the teams showing interest in Zach Ertz. All right, on to the phone lines we go. In Matt and Phoenix, I'm at. Bob, how you doing? How was the weekend? It was uh, interesting. <laughs> I agree with that. Um, are you excited for Mitchell Trubisky and Bally, uh, Bailey Zappi on Thursday night? <laughs> yeah, well, I, uh, no more excited than I was for most of the NFL action yesterday, which I thought was the worst oh. Sunday of the season. Um, you know, with Between all the injuries, which was the most of I've seen in the NFL in a long time, certainly this year, my list of Sunday injuries was far longer than any day this week, uh, this season, I should say. Between that and just some really bad football, uh, another bad game isn't really going to you know, dampen my enthusiasm because I've <laughs> lost pretty much all enthusiasm from the NFL at this point unless San Francisco is playing. Sure. Fair, totally fair. Let's uh, let's continue on with the bad football. Um, did Iowa send their backups to play in Charlotte and, and dress up in Louisville Cardinal uniforms? Because I had both those games on at the same time, um, and I, I was laughing hysterically throughout them. Those were a couple of the worst offensive performances I've ever seen. Um, and I know Florida State's w- defense is good, but, yeah. I mean, what a complete nightmare from, from Louisville. 
Well, you know, those two games side by side, you know, which, you know, I actually, you know, luckily was doing a lot of work for today's show uh, okay. during that game from the daytime games and kind of, uh, of doing uh, some recaps and so forth that uh, we'll get to during the extra point. Uh, so while I had those two games on simultaneously, I was not exactly charting the down by down process or lack thereof. Uh, of the two games so uh, to me that worked out really well and i was uh on a saturday night i was asleep at 10 30 which was a wonderful thing because usually during the regular season uh before the championship saturday i'm up to a 1 or 2 watching all the wrap-up shows so Got i didn't it. even bother with the wrap-up shows on saturday i'd already done all my work so that whole thing worked out great for me i'm guessing it was a nightmare uh, for television networks, so maybe they got some ratings early in those games, but I can't imagine that many people stayed for the entirety of either game. Yeah, other than sickos like myself. Um, I want to talk <laughs> a little bit about Michigan. Not um, everybody's a sicko like yourself, so there you go. Yes, yeah, very few, um, <laughs> yeah. thankfully, for the world. Um, <laughs> as far as Michigan goes, um, obviously I watch Iowa football. I respect their defense, however – their best defensive player, maybe their two best defensive players, uh, weren't playing. Um, that was extremely unimpressive. I mean, they scored, what, 10 points and from you know offensive drives that weren't generated by their defense or special teams. Um, concern for you, or was that just kind of going through the motions and being conservative knowing that Iowa wasn't going to score? How about a little boat? Yeah, certainly okay. you know, Zinter not playing is a huge deal yes. for Michigan. He's a you know, I'm not sure. I doubt if he's a first round draft pick now after he tore everything he has in that knee, yeah. unfortunately, for him. Uh so I'm not sure where he stands as far as the NFL is concerned at this point. But you know, between uh, the fact that they knew I mean, they could play with like eight guys in the field and Iowa wasn't gonna score or do any damage against them. So uh, between that and the, you know, they didn't have to do anything. So I don't think okay. that uh, they certainly didn't push the envelope, but I'm not so sure if they wanted to try to push the envelope, how much they would have accomplished. Um, I watched uh, Bama, Georgia, and when the matchup was announced is, I wonder if Michigan's offensive line is going to be able to block Alabama's defensive line. Do you have a similar question? And if so, do you have an answer in response to that? Um, not the ones. I'll go back to the Zinter thing. I'm I'm okay. going to be on Alabama in that game. Uh, put it that way. So, yep. um, yeah, I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure about Alabama's defense. I love their corners, and uh, Turner's Terrific a tremendous secondary. player. Yeah. But I'm not a hundred. You know, I watched Auburn run all over him two weeks ago. Uh, yep. So, and that was a rivalry game. So I'm not buying that they were looking past Auburn. I'm not buying that crap. So I don't know what I think of the Alabama defense uh, as okay. far as uh, that's kind of a, you know, I'm confused about that. And, you know, the Michigan offense, uh, you know, they're not healthy. Agreed. Um Lastly, the other semifinal, um, very intriguing matchup in my opinion. Um, your guess indicated, you know, Washington's ability to throw. They, you know, they've gotten better in terms of running the ball, but it's not going to work this 
in this particular matchup. That defensive front for Texas is terrific against the run. Um, I do think there's some holes in the Texas secondary. Does the game, in your estimation, come down to if they block, uh, pass block well enough for the receivers to get open and make plays as they usually do? And um, if they do, Penix is going to have a field day against uh, Texas? I think that's possible. I mean, I this is a game I haven't thought nearly as much about. Um, and partly because I just want to kind of, uh, you know, after Friday night, I wanted to block Washington for my brain because I was obviously okay. really wrong about them for weeks, as it turns out. I mean, I was looking for spots to bet against them, and I did a couple Absolutely. of times and basically split on a couple of games I bet against them, yep. and so I lost juice on that. And I, you know, I thought that once Oregon took that lead on Friday night that uh, they would – you know, take care of business. Uh, but Washington's response after they fell behind in that game with two consecutive touchdown drives, and I mean touchdown drives. I mean, it wasn't yeah. like, you know, one play and a touchdown. It wasn't a 70-yard play. Uh, it is physically kicked the crap out of Oregon that game. And considering what happened last year and the first time they played this year when Oregon really dominated the line of scrimmage in both those matchups, that part surprised me. That was actually, to me, the most surprising thing that happened over the weekend. Counting I think Saturday that's fair. And, we, Friday and Friday and Saturday. Are we not sure the difference between Washington and Oregon is Dan Lanning versus Kalen DeBoer? No, I'm not positive about that. I don't think that really Dan Lanning had much to do with Friday night. They okay. just got their ass beat at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, and to me, that was, uh, you know, you know my, that would like I said, that's the biggest surprise to me of the entire weekend. Matt, I got to get going Fair here. Something good. Good stuff, as always. Thanks. Appreciate it, Bob. All right. Yeah, you too. We'll come back and wrap things up with a quick segment, which is often the case in the, the first hour of the uh, the one hour of the Sports Zone. Don't forget, the next two hours, we'll get into more depth on a lot of these things uh, with uh, the Extra Point hosted by Kayla. We'll go through NFL and college, local and national, and uh I guess we're not going to go through it. Well, actually, ASU got an offensive coordinator. Hopefully, Kenny Dillingham will let him call plays, uh, which I really, you know, let him run his offense. And, you know, Marcus Arroyo has got a reputation of being a good offensive mind. Hopefully, that will be, he'll be allowed to use that offensive mind. I assume he's been assured to do so. Because I can't imagine that uh, Marcus Arroyo didn't have choices other than Arizona State to become the next offensive coordinator. HD Radio is here for KDUS AM 1060. Check out your favorite shows and games on 100.7 KSLX HD2. It's time for today's National Roundup. Okay, real rapid fire final segment of today's Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and KISS Lux HD 2 100.7 Monday Night Football. Jacksonville, its first Monday night game in 12 years at home. And uh, pretty much everywhere I've looked in the last couple of hours, <clears throat> excuse me, they're a 10 point favorite over the Bengals tonight. Total pretty much 40. Uh, there's 140 and a half at the South Point in Las Vegas that I see, but. Pretty much everything else worldwide seems to be sitting at 40. As far as injuries in this game, obviously the Joe Burrow injury, he's not going to come back and play this year, but there's other some, there's some other injuries for the Bengals tonight. Uh, mainly Cam, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, Cam Tra- uh, Taylor Britt, I'll get this right, 
uh, cornerback. He's listed as out. He's been uh, he got hurt in that same uh, Thursday night game against Baltimore that Burrow did. As far as Jacksonville, uh, a couple of key players here they listed as questionable. Uh, Tyson Campbell is a really good corner, their best corner. Also, Travis ATM, uh, their running back, uh, both listed as questionable. They were limited participants in practice this past week, so we'll see if they play tonight. A couple other quick things, uh, rip from the headlines, slash from the wire. Aaron Rodgers not expected to play for the Jets this season, according to multiple reports. That was before the Jets' latest loss on Sunday against the Falcons. The Titans could be without Derrick Henry. He's in, a con- he's in concussion protocol. They don't play the next Monday night against the Dolphins. Uh, on the coaching front, Todd Bowles expected to finish the season as the Buccaneers head coach, according to the Tampa Times. At least to finish this season. Meanwhile, college football, Willie Fritz leaving uh, Tulane for Houston. And that's a story that actually broke during the first half of Tulane's championship game in the AAC, and they lost that to the injury-depleted SMU. You have to believe that the players heard about that, either in the second quarter when they're on the sidelines or at halftime, that their coach was leaving after the game. And they played horribly, really the whole game, but especially in the second half. You wonder if there was some stuff going on before the game. All right, that's it for the uh, Sports Zone for today. Stay tuned. The Extra Point's coming up next, hosted by Kayla. That'll include a review of the NFL and college football weekend and also uh, more phone call time, 602-260-1060. This has been the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.